Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to follow along inside the text, you can find a fully vowelized PDF of the DAF at www.batshevalearningcenter.com slash DAF. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We are now moving on to DAF of Bays. Okay, so we're actually just going to finish up the rest of Chav Aleph Amad Bays. Um, we're towards um, the bottom of the page, and um, you'll see that if you're in the on the DAF, there's skinny lines and wider lines. So it's the fourth to last one of the skinny lines. Um, and it's three words from the end of the line. Uh, hey, hey, dummy. Um, what we're doing is we're going through at the end of the Mishnah, Rabbi Yeshua um, gave four categories of people who are termed Mavale Ailam, destroyers of the world. So the first one was a Chassid Shaita, right? A foolish Chassid right, which we described as someone who sees a woman drowning in the river and doesn't want to save her because it's not sneeze to look at women. Um, and now we're going on to the second category, was a Russia Arum, a, cani- a cunning, wicked person. So, hey, Dami Russia Arum. That's an example of a Russia Arum. Just before Arum. you, sorry, before you go into the examples, just just the, the Maharal um, explains this whole piece. We're going to give like a bunch of different examples of Russia Aram. And, and the way he explains it is that each each opinion here is sort of making it more strict, right? Like giving an even more subtle example of who would be defined as a Russia Aram. Um, so just yeah, kind of look out for that as we're reading through them, how each one is sort of like a, a less extreme um sort of example or subtle evil yeah more subtle form of evil so each one is sort of like adding on to the previous one and saying like no rush arm is even someone who does something that doesn't seem as as bad but it really is you know all right okay so with that <laughs> the first the first level uh of rush arm is um provided for us by rabbi yochanan amar rabbi yochanan zahamatim zavar ladayan baldin so this is somebody who goes and presents his case to the judge before the other litigant arrives. And the idea is by presenting his case first, the judge will be kind of tend to be more favorable to his side. Right. So this is cunning because it's not explicitly, he's not explicitly doing anything, you know, bribing the judge in any way or doing anything wrong, but he's doing something which will lead to um, tilting it on tilting the case unfairly to his merit. This is somebody who gives a coin to a poor person. So on the surface, it seems like he's doing a mitzvah, right? He's giving tzedakah. But why does he do it? He does it to complete the Ani's net worth. So now the Ani owns 200 zuz. So what's the significance of that? So Ditnan, we learn in the Mishnah, 200 zuz, anyone who has any person who has more than 200 zuz to their name doesn't take the three gifts to the poor left on the side of the field, right? Leket, the thieves that are um, that are dropped by the reapers, the shikha, the, the, the leaves that are forgotten, and peya, the corners of the field, and maeser ani, and the 10%, which is given in a year, like a maeser ani year. Um, so these, um, the 200 zoos is sort of like the cutoff point, right? The income uh, bracket, which could um, receive these gifts to the poor. And so what this man is doing Right, if he's kind of giving him one coin so that he doesn't have to give this person gifts to the poor. Um, right? Because the halacha is right. Once you have once you're under a poor man is under 200 ziz, let's say even if he has only 199 ziz, he could then take even a thousand dinars worth of lakat shifta and paya. Right. So this this Russia Arum is bringing this Ani just above the poverty line so that he doesn't have to give him a bigger, a larger gift of tzedakah. 
Rabbi Asi Amar Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Asi um, says another, suggests another interpretation. This is somebody who gives advice to orphans, to orphan boys, and tells them to sell um, their their landed property if they only have a little bit of landed property. So that, just a bit of background halacha about the laws of inheritance. The halacha is that when you know, let's say a man dies, the inheritance goes to the sons, but the daughters have a right to collect their support uh, from the property, from landed property. And the halacha is, if there's enough property to go around, then everything's great, right? The sons take their inheritance and the daughters take enough of the inheritance to support themselves. But if there's only a little bit of landed property and it's not enough to support all the children, then the daughters take precedence and the daughters take, you know, whatever property there is and live off of that. And the sons need to go and beg or do whatever they can to get uh, to make a living. Now, the halacha is, though, this only applies to landed property, right, to um, right to land. If it's metalzolin, right, if it's other assets which are not attached to land, then um, the daughters have no such right. Um, so Arasi says a Russia Arum is somebody who goes to these sons right after their father has died. These sons who only have a little bit of landed property, which ordinarily now needs to go to their sisters and tells them to quickly go and sell that landed property to cheat their sisters out of their, um, you know, rightful um, source of income. Um, so again, right, he's, there's nothing, there's no, really, it's it's all legal, right? He's just using a legal loophole to cheat these orphans out of their sustenance. Um, so this is based on the following halacha, Arasi says in the name of Yochanan, right, even though, um, you know, generally, like uh, orphans should not sell the sustenance and cheat their sisters out of their money, right? Obviously, the lacha is, is that the the daughters take precedence. But if the sons do go ahead and sell that little bit of landed property, the sale is valid; it goes through, um, and therefore this legal loophole is available. Abai Amar Abai said, "Zahamazi ate the limkarul chasin." This is somebody who gives advice to someone to sell property in the case, in the following case, in accordance with the halacha taught by Rav Shimon ben Gamliel, right? So what's the case? The case is um, somebody dies, right? And he says before he dies that he wants his property to be given to Shimon. And after Shimon, after Shimon dies, it should be given to Levi. Okay. Um, now the halacha is, um, what if Shimon, you know, so, so we're, like the guy dies, right? Shimon gets the property and then Shimon, you know, sells the property and spends the money that he got for the property, right? So now the property is no longer there. So what's the halacha? Does Shimon have to come up with the money to pay Levi, right? Or do we say, you know, Tough luck, Levi, right? Shimon, when it was when the property was in Shimon's hands, Shimon got rid of it. Right. So this is the subject of Maklikas Titania that says in Abraisa. If somebody says my assets should go to you, Shimon, and then afterwards to somebody else, say Levi. And the first guy, right, Shimon, when he gets the property, he sells it and then he spends the money and he loses, you know. The money, um, Hashani Levi might see miyad halakucha. So the first opinion in this Mishnah is that Levi could say, "Well, this is my property. So if you, Reuven, you know, already sold the property and you know uh, and took the money, the Levi has the option of expropriating the property from whoever bought the property from Shimo, right? Meaning he so." Right. So um, he, you know, has a right to, you know, get his property that's due to him. 
Dibri Rabbi, that's Rabbi's opinion. said, Nope, tough luck. Levy, the second guy, has doesn't have anything except whatever the first guy leaves him, right? So if Shimon decides to go ahead and sell the property and spend all the money, that's too bad for Levy. He doesn't get anything, right? So um, according to Shimon Gamliel, right, there is sort of a legal loophole here where there's sort of a legal way where Shimon can cheat Levi out of the property that's rightfully due to him. And a Russia Aram is somebody who advises Shimon to use this crafty way to cheat Levi out of his money. Arbiosi Bar Chama, Amar of Shesis. So another opinion, Arbiosi Bar Chama, this is somebody who influences other people to follow his ways. Sarashi describes this as someone who says, look at me, right? You should follow me, follow my ways. Like makes himself sort of this like, you know, um, into this, you know, person to be emulated. And really it's all a show just to mask his um, evil or less than desirable actions. Rabbi Zreika Amar of Huna, so Zreika said, Huna said, This is somebody who is Mekel for himself, right? Like in his own, you know, he's the only matters in which he's more lenient for himself, but he will tell other people to be Machir. Right. So again, the same idea. It's kind of two faced, right? On the outside, he's pretending to be Machir, telling everyone else to be more stringent, but on the inside, he is. Not like that. This is somebody who learns um, learns the Chumash, right? Learns the Pesukim. Um, he might learn the Mishnah, right? He knows Halacha, but he never served Tomei Chachamim, meaning he never learned the reasons behind the Halacha um, from a Talmud Chacham. Well, actually, to this, right? this idea of Shemesh Tomei Chachamim, um, so, like, yeah, like the way you just explained it, that's sort of how Rashi explains it, right? The that like means he never learned the reasoning behind it, right? He never like delved deeper into the into the reasoning that's given in the Gemara, um, and therefore he doesn't really understand the halacha properly. Um, another explanation that's given for shemeshem to serve tamidichachamim, and they say it means um, that that he should actually. Um, so this person isn't, isn't involved in taking care of the needs of Talmud Chachamim, and therefore he never really learns from the behavior, like from the you know the casual everyday behavior of a Talmud Chacham, um, and therefore he's sort of missing out on like a whole element of Torah um, by not by not doing that. Oh wow, wow! So another like dimension here. He walks right. He may know the knowledge, but he doesn't have right. That. He's only reading from the book, learning from the books, but not from you know the real life experience of of you know. Of living like a tamachacha. Wow. Okay, so we're gonna um, moving forward. We're gonna focus on this idea of the importance of being mishamish to make a right? Um, so moving forward, I think it will be helpful to keep in Rashi's explanation, uh, learning the reasoning behind the halachas. Um, that is some of what we're gonna be focused on moving forward. Okay, so itmar. Um, we had there's a statement right made with Amarim, Kara Vishana, Somebody who you know learns the Chumash, right? He repeats, he recites Mishnah, but he has not served Chumash Chachamim. Um, Rabbi Elazar Heimer hurries Amarim. Elazar says this person is termed an Amarim. Um. This person is termed a boor. I'm going to use like uncouth um, and coarse. Rabiani Amar Hariz a kuti. Rabiani said this is a kuti. Right, the kutim were a a nation um, originating from Assyria of Ashur. They're also called the Shomronim or the Samaritans. Um, the reason for that is because in the days of Sacheriv. Right, the end of Bias Rishon, Sancheirev um, relocated many nations in his empire. He exiled the ten tribes, and he took a, a tribe that was local to Assyria and moved them into the Shomron. Right, um, and these were non-Jewish nation, 
Um, and the Navi describes there how basically, um, to cut a long story short, they end up converting to Judaism, but they never really give up their old idol worshiping ways. So they, there's a sort of mix for this nation. They take, they are, keep a lot of mitzvahs, um, but they are, they still worship idols, um, and they consider Hargrizim their holy spot rather than the Harabais. Um, and therefore, um, because of this, although the Kutin did keep many mitzvahs, um, they were forbidden. They're in many ways considered like non-Jews. And um, Jews were not allowed to eat their bread or drink their wine, just like can't, just like non-Jews, right? Um, so Kutin is sort of a derogatory term. And it's saying this type of person you're forbidden is also you're forbidden to eat this person's bread or this person or drink this person's wine. Yeah, so the Maharal uh, actually talks about this a little like why is this person who is doesn't isn't um you know doesn't do mashimash tamin and why is he like um a kuti? So to so he gives two explanations. One is that um the kutim only followed her Shabik Sav, um, which they where they, they, they didn't really they didn't really um Followed Tereshav Alpeh, and Tereshav Aksav doesn't really include any of the, the reasoning behind the halacha. Um, it's just sort of like the straight, like, instructions without any of the sort of, you know, um, reasoning behind it. And and that's similar to this person who's only studying the, you know, the de- practical halacha without going back and understanding the reasons. Um, and another idea is that he says that the kutim didn't engage in Torah learning, right? It's kind of like you were saying, like there were sort of these insincere converts who, they were sort of just like, they adopted Judaism just sort of like by watching what everyone else was doing, but they never actually engaged in Torah study as like a study for itself. And that's similar to this person who's learning Mishnah without learning the Gemara, meaning he's just learning what to do, um, but he's not actually engaging in Torah learning um, as like a study um, and, and and a pursuit for itself. Um, so that's sort of the comparison to the to the Kuti here. Wow. Um, yeah, Rashi actually gives even a harsher, I guess, explanation where he says it's actually literally forbidden. I'm wondering, is that in the Mara also? That it's actually literally forbidden to eat his bread and wine because... He's not careful, right, about halacha, meaning he can't be careful about halacha because he doesn't know the reason. Right, so, I mean, I'm assuming both are true. This is just sort of giving, like, a, like you know, when we say he's like a kuti, it's giving a, I mean, that's a halachic, practical halachic um, implication, but also there's sort of like a, a, a deeper, I guess, correlation, mm. you know? Right. It's not just like a surface connection. There's actually some sort of. Yeah. Like, right, they're trying to teach us something about what's wrong with this behavior, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay, uh, we're not done though. It, it does get worse. <laughs> in our description of this of this type of person, Rabbi Bar Yaakov Omer Hariza Magosh. Rabbi Bar Yaakov said this person is like a sorcerer. Amar of Nachu Bar Yitzchak. Rabbi Bar Yitzchak said, "Mistabra Rabbi Bar Yaakov." Like it makes Rabbi Bar Yaakov's um, description is makes sense. Right, the Amar Inish Ratin Magusha Velo Yadamai Amar. It's like the saying that people say, right? A, a sorcerer will like chant an incantation, and he doesn't really know what he's saying, right? Just like saying this like meaningless chant. Tani Tana Yadamai Amar. So too, this person will recite the Mishnah, the words of the Mishnah, but he doesn't really know what he's saying um, because he doesn't realize the reasoning uh, behind it. Uh, so now we're going to go back and define an Amharitz. Now, when we say Amharitz, we're referring to a halakhic category of person. Um, and Amharitz was the type of person who was considered to be ignorant of the laws of Tuman Zahara and Maestris. And therefore, um, a Talmud Chacham or someone who was careful about these laws would have to assume that anything that Amharitz touched was Tameh and that all the food that they sold uh, might not have Meister taken properly, right? So this is the halachically relevant category, right? So who is considered an Amaris? Which type of person do you have to assume these things about, right? So um, Kulsa Rimeir gives us the first opinion. Kulsa in a Kriya Shema Shachris Ba'aris Rebesad Dibar Rimeir. says that anyone who doesn't say Shema in the morning and at night with its brachos, that type of person you could assume isn't careful about those things. Just a, just a short idea about that yeah. from the Ben Hayada. He says, like, what's what's the connect? Right? Why is so? Why is saying Shema? Um, you know, why specifically that? So he says, saying Shema is sort of testifying to Hashem's 
to Hashem's unity, right? Like we become sort of like Edim, you know, to, to Hashem's, Hashem's existence, Hashem's oneness. And someone who doesn't do that is, is similar to an Amar Aretz because an Amar Aretz, we also don't trust his testimony. Um, just like this person who's not sort of testifying truthfully to Hashem's, uh, to Hashem's unity. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Um, so Hachamim have a different view. But Rabbi says anyone who doesn't have tzitzis on his garment, um, anyone who has sons does not raise them to learn Torah. Um, said, even somebody who reads, right, he like learns Chomesh and he re- uh, recites Mishnah but has not served that's also an art. If you learn the Torah and you have not recited Mishnah, that's called a boor. That's even worse than Amaret. Like her, like Shana, if you didn't even learn the Torah and you ignore what Mishnah is, Allah, the Kasav, Aimer, Bezerati, Space of Straw, Space of Huda, Zer, Adam, and Zer, Behema, which means I have sowed in the house of Israel and Yehuda, seed of man and seed of animal. So this person is compared to the latter, to the seed of an animal. So not. A good place to be. So the Gemara is now going to proceed to um, bring a Pusik which supports this idea that those who recite Mishnah without realizing um, the reasons behind it have are extremely detrimental to society and you know just not a good thing, right? So this following Pusik is from Mishle, um, and it's a Pusik which is Really, it's written, which is written by Shlomo Amalek, and this Pasuk is directed to his son, Rechabam, right? So it's advice Shlomo Amalek is giving to his son. And he says, Yuras Hashem right? So he says, my son, make sure you fear Hashem and the king, and don't mingle, don't associate with the Shainim, right? So if you look at that Pasuk, the literal meaning of Shainim is those who are kind of changed their ways, those who are insincere, not consistent, Right. Um, but really, if you look there, if, it, if that's what it wanted to say, people who are like inconsistent, it should have used the word Mishanim, not Shinem. The word Shinem is kind of an unusual word. So based on that um, partic- particularity, Amar Yitzchak originally said, right? These are those who recite halachas, right? Meaning those who recite halachas without understanding them. And we're saying, don't mingle with those people. Stay away from those people. Those people are dangerous. Um, so the Gemara asks, Shita. So the Gemara somehow thought that this drasha, that shinim means those who recite halakha, is an obvious drasha. Like, why did Ruby Yitzhak even need to tell us that? We would have known that on our own. So, Mahu did Tima. This is lest you say. There could have been, we might have thought, you could learn something else from this lesson. Shainin Bechet. We could have thought the word Shainin Bechet, it means somebody, who, people who, Shainin means those who rep- repeatedly sin and repeatedly do the same sin. Uchadar Avhuna, like Avhuna says, Amar Avhuna. Avhuna said, Kevan Da'ap Sha'avar Adam Avera Bashanava Hutrala. Once a person does an Avera and repeats it again, it becomes like permissible in his eyes. Um, right? So that could have also been a plausible explanation of this process. This was about that that idea, right? That when a person repeats a sin, then it becomes permissible to them, right? Um, so two ideas. One from the Shemesh Shmuel, he says that um, the word heter, right? Hutralai, right? I know that the word heter um, doesn't just mean permissible, but it also means to be untied, right? Like mutter means to be untied. Um, he says this is sort of alluding to the idea that when a Jew, you know, a Jew has this connection to Hashem that's tied like a knot. And when a Jew sins for the first time, that's like that's like loosening the knot. Um, and the second time they do, the person does it, that's like when it, it becomes like totally unraveled, um, totally untied. Um, so that's sort of like the allusion to this um, in the word hutra, right? Is that like sort of giving the person this imagery of like how his relationship with Hashem is being sort of loosened um, in his in his by sinning. Um, and then 
another idea from the Kedushas Levi, um, where Kedushas Levi says that there's, there's, you know, we learn in, in Masechah's Rosh Hashanah, right? It says there that um, in the name of, of Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yishmael, Ma'avar Rishan Rishan, that Hashem always forgives. The first time a person sins, Hashem forgives it, right? Hashem sort of lets it go, right? So the, the Kedushas Levi says that, um, what sort of what that Gemara sort of like a based on the Gemara that we're learning here, right? That what that what what the Gemara there is really saying is that Hashem only needs to forgive us the first time we sin because once we sin the first time, by the time we get to the second time, the Gemara here says explicitly, right? If the person it already seems the human nature is that it already seems to you like it's permissible, right? It's like the second time you do something, you no longer feel that the the guilt or or you know like that conscience that like oh i'm doing something really really wrong um he says therefore that person can't really be held accountable right you can't hold a person accountable for the second second or third or whatever time they do it because you know hashem designed human nature to no longer like feel the severity of something by the time it comes to the second time so he says that's why there in rosh hashanah it says that hashem Hashem has to forgive the first time we do it, right? Because that's something which, like, at that point, we, we really should have should have been able to to hold ourselves back because we really felt like it was usher. But by the time it comes to the second time, the person isn't even, you know, it, it's forgiven automatically, right? Because it's just part of what, what human nature is. Um, very characteristic of Rebellion of Bernicho, right? <laughs> um, to sort of read, read it that wow. way. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, um... So right, this this idea, right, that shashinim, people who repeat their sins are sort of dangerous <laughs> for this reason, um, that could have been a way to read the Pazluk, but so that's why our like says, no, 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 no. The meaning of this Pazluk, it's really about shining halachas, right? Kamashvala. And that's what Rabbi Yitzchak was teaching us. We have a similar teaching, um, similar like, right, which teaches a similar idea. Tana, it's taught. Hatanaim, the tanaim, those who recite Mishnah, Mavali Island, destroy the world, right? It's kind of a very, uh, you know, controversial statement, right? Like, to not even destroy the world, right? Um, so the Gemara right away, yeah, Mavali Island, can you say those who learn Mishnah are destroy the world? Um, so, right, you actually know the opposite, right? Those who learn Mishnah, like, build the world, right? So, Amar, says, These are people who try to pask in halacha out of the Mishnah, right? And that's a very dangerous thing because the Mishnah is often unclear what the halacha is. There are often different opinions. It's unclear which opinion we follow. It's unclear which case, sometimes unclear what case the Mishnah is talking about, right? Um, if you've been with us in the Gemara so far, you can kind of see a little taste of that, right? You'll learn a Mishnah and it appears the Mishnah is talking about one thing. And then once you go through the Gemara, right, and it start, you start discussing and picking apart the Mishnah a little bit, you start realizing there's so much more beneath the surface, right? So you can see how Paskaning Halakha out of the Mishnah would lead to disastrous results. Tanya Nami Hashi, there's another Brisa which teaches similarly. Amar Vishu, Vishu has said, they are actually those who settle and build the world. Right? Um, literally means the ways of the world are his, but it's darshan, those who learn halachas, the world is attributed to them. The world is sustained in their merit. Right? So those who learn halachas are doing great things. Right? Keep learning halacha is a great thing to do. But when we say they're destroyers of the world, we're referring to those who learn Mishnah and Paskat Halakha out of the Mishnah. Okay, so this thus concludes the category of Rasha Aram. Now we're on to the third category of those who are Mavale Ailam, those who destroy the world. And that is an Isha Prusha, right? A pious woman. Kind of about our stages of taught. So um, a young maiden who prays her davens a lot, a neighborly widow, like someone who, you know, always goes around greeting her neighbors and being friendly. And a, um, a minor, a child who hasn't really completed, hasn't fully matured. These are the stories of the world. Right? Um, and I did, even though the, you know, these women seem to be you know, very pious, right? The this girl is always davening, and this widow is always trying to be friendly and friends with everyone. Really, it's all a cover, and it's not sincere. 
So the Gemara asked, Edie, is that so? Like, can we really generalize and say that all women who appear pious are really insincere? We could learn the attribute of fear of sin from a young girl. And he also learned the attribute of, you know, cherishing reward for mitzvahs from a widow. And the Gemara explains what stories he's referring to. Yeah, like Msula, I mean, which story, you know, it's taught us the idea of fear of sin from a young girl. Once heard this young girl falling on her face and dobbing and, and asking, the master of the world, you created an and you created Ghanem, Barasa Tzadikin. He created the righteous and he created the wicked. May it be your will that no man stumble because of me, right? And thereby lose their portion and get any done. And so, right, Ryokana was so impressed when he heard this young girl's sincere Sophia that he said, oh, you know, you could learn years late, you know, from this, from this girl. People around, So how do you learn the idea of cherishing, um, you know, receiving rewards? From a widow, there's this widow who she had a shul in her neighborhood, like it was like right next to her, right down the street from her house. But nevertheless, every day she would go and make the walk. I guess apparently it was you know a substantial walk to the base measures of Rabiokanan. Rabiokanan said to her, "Beat the live base isn't there a shoal right in your neighborhood? Why are you walking all the way to mine? So Amrlash, she said to him, Rabbi, the life carp see it lately? Rabbi, don't, it's true, but don't I have the extra reward uh, because of the steps that I'm taking? And this woman cherished every extra step she took on the way to shoal. Um, and that was so important to her that she was willing to make that extra trip. So, so this about the story, like uh, at first glance, the story, it sounds like this, this Almana is, um, you know, she just she's going the, the extra mile, literally, to the shul, um, for just for schar, right? So to get to get reward, right? That's the that's the language here. Schar psiyas usually. Um, and the ob- obvious question here is like, right? We know from the Mishnah in Berkei Aves, Al Tio Kavanim Hamisham Shem Asaravam Nasakala Pras, right? We're not supposed to serve Hashem for reward, right? That's not supposed to be our motivation for doing things. So why is this such a praiseworthy thing, right? That she was just trying to get extra reward for going further. So there's a few a few explanations given for this. So one. Once from the Chacham Tzvi, he says that um, what, he, what, 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 what Rabbi Yechon was really asking her was that we know that there's a din that you're not supposed to delay a mitzvah, right? If you have a mitzvah that you are able to, to do right now, we're not supposed to push it off um, and do it later, right? Um, so, so he was asking her, like, how could you go to a further shul if there's a shul right that's close to you? Um, so she was simply explaining, right? She wasn't saying the reason why I'm doing this is for schar. She was just saying the fact that there's extra schar for going those extra, extra steps shows that there must be value to going to a further shul. And that's, that's the reason why I'm passing up going to a closer shul and going to the further one instead, right? Um, but another idea, um, I, I saw is that, you know, so the mission in Perkeva says that a person shouldn't serve Hashem the Kabul pras, right? Which pras means like, you know, sort of like pay, a payment, right? Like a sort of something that we're getting um, in return for the mitzvah, right? But we also know another uh, Mishnah that says schar mitzvah mitzvah, right? That the reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. And he says there's a difference between the words the Kabul pras and the Kabul schar, right? The Kabul pras means it's some sort of, you know, incentive for the mitzvah, right? Like something else external that I'm going to get as a result of my of my mitzvah. But the word schar, um, when we say that you're going to get schar for something, what that really means is the value of the mitzvah itself, right? That schar mitzvah mitzvah means that when I'm, the, my motivation for doing the mitzvah is the actual closest hashdown that I'm going to achieve through this mitzvah. So that's really what she was saying when she said, uh, you know, schar psiyasiyashli, that the reward, meaning the value of connecting to Hashem more through make, taking those extra steps, that's what's motivating me um, to go to that further, that further shul. Wow, yeah, I feel like, yeah, that's definitely, because I feel like also the whole point here, the point that we're trying to bring out here is how pious and righteous she was, right? So, like, definitely, you know, needed that to kind of clarify, right, what was so, right, what was so special, I guess, about her. Right. But her saying that, what was, I guess, Prusha, 
Right. right, I think somewhere else in general, this idea of schar, that, that schar could have that connotation, right? I mean, that, that, that concept of schar comes up a lot, right? And that schar doesn't necessarily mean some sort of ulterior motive. It can mean, you know, the it can mean doing it for the sake of the connection to Hashem itself, you know? Schar mitzvah mitzvah, right? It's its own. Yeah, exactly. Its own reward. So what do we say, right? These women were not only righteous, they were considered the paragraph, like the, they are the prime examples of piety, right? So Mars says, Kika Amar, when we said that, we meant we were talking about a specific woman, Kagai Yechani Basra TV, one specific woman named Yechani or woman like Yechani Basra TV. So Rashi kind of fills us in on the story here. Um, Yechani Basra TV was a sorceress right um but she was kind of a clot in the closet about it right? she didn't it was secretive about it um and she kind of made herself out to be this very the sedacious right and whenever someone would have trouble giving birth she would come in and she would dive it and then suddenly you know the baby would come out easily but they didn't realize one day they discovered that what she'd been doing is she had performed some sort of witchcraft which made the baby like made the labor difficult and made it hard for the baby to come out and then once the woman asked her oh please Yohani, can you daven she would like leave the room pretend to be davening really she would like then remove her witchcraft and then the baby would come out making it seem as though it was her piety and her davening that you know made the labor so easy um and so right so this woman right with the you know prime example of somebody who had used like piety as a disguise for her you know wicked actions okay my katan shalom kalolo chadashev so what we said before that a katan shalom kalolo chadashev a minor a kid child who has not completed his growth um those are the destroyers of the world so who, who are these people like was what, what is this category this is how they interpreted it. This is a Talmud Chacham who is, um, who disrespects his teachers. Rabbi Abba said, this is a student who has not yet reached the stage um, of being able to paskin halacha and paskins prematurely. Rabbi said that Rav said that Rafuna said that Rav said, My nixtiv, what's the meaning of the Pasuk in Mishlei? She has slain, um, she has, you know, slain many, um, and mighty are all of those that she has killed. Um, the context of that Pasuk there is really referring to a harlot, right? Seeing that the damage wreaked by a woman who is a harlot. Um, but we're actually applying this Pasuk and interpreting and applying it to Talmini Chachamim, who, um, who, a Talmud Chacham who paskins at the wrong time, right? Um, and so you kind of see, like, kind of the severity, right? We're comparing this person to the damage uh, wreaked by adultery, right? So uh, the first part of the class, like, Hiravim Chalalim Hipila, she's fallen many, you know, corpses. That's Talmud Chacham Shalagila Radler. This is referring to someone who hasn't reached Tara. And hasn't reached this isn't old enough to poskin and poskins halacha. Um, there's a play on words here with the word hipila. Hipila can also mean to miscarry, right? Because this talachacham sort of has been hasn't really allowed to be uh, developed the full stage of its growth, just like a miscarried fetus hasn't really developed properly. So this talachacham hasn't really developed fully um, and is poskining too soon. But Sugan color again, the latter part of the Pasuk, right? Mighty are those that have been killed. That's Talmud Chacham Shegila Rav Einamar. This is the opposite. Somebody who has reached the stage of being able to paskin halacha, he's able to paskin halacha and doesn't paskin out of modesty. Um, that's also a terrible thing, right? Um, and there's a play on words here with the word atsumim, atsumim means we translated as mighty it could also mean to close right so he's like closing his lips and refusing to teach out of you know this false sense of modesty um even though he has the capability to give so much 
Okay, so what is the stage? How old do you have to be in order to pass Kedalachav? How much? Ad Arbashnen, it's be 40 years old. Is that so? We know that Rabbah was, you know, famously a teacher of Halakha. And we also know that Rabbah did not live past 40. Very interestingly, the Gemara tells us that Rabbah was um, from the family of Ailey, right? Um, and everyone in the family of Ailey didn't live past 40 because of a curse that was given to them. Right? So at any rate, how could we, Rabbah been a teacher, he didn't live past 40, right? So the Gemara answer is Bishavin, right? Um, that's different because it's the talking about a situation where like these people were, even though they were younger, someone could be younger than 40, but they're either equal to um, the person, you know, the, the greatest person of their generation, or there's no one greater than them, right? So in that case, you're able to, one can judge and pass in even if they're not 40. Um, and for that reason, Raba taught Halakha. Okay, and so that that finishes the third category of Isha Prusha. Uh, now we're on to the fourth category said by Rabbi Yeshua, those who destroy the world, Makai's Prushin, those who are, you know, overly pious and cause themselves, you know, wounds as a result. Okay, so kind of about it. The sages have taught. Shiva, so yeah, just to remind ourselves the meaning of that, Rashi explained on the Mishnah, Maka's person is somebody who kind of like walks around with this like exaggeratedly, um, you know, humble and like way, like kind of like bends his head and like shuffles his feet and like kind of like bumps into things because he's trying to look so humble and whatever. And it's just all a show, right? Um, so Tadarab. There are seven categories of insincere um, Prussian. People are trying to be from, right? Um, but it's just, you know, too, I guess in the language of Chassanis, it's like too Chassanis dick, right? They're trying to like look and act so from, but it hasn't really, you know, penetrated um, the inside. And it, it has just exaggerated um and sometimes even harmful results so there's the parish shikmi so we're going to give a list of of types of parish here and then we're going to proceed to explain them so there's a parish shikmi there's the parish that's shem like parish natfi the parish which causes you know wounds um sorry parish which which knocks his feet. Um, parish kizai, someone who causes a wound. Parish majuchi is the parish, which is like a pestle. Parish machavaisi sana. Parish who says, like, what's my obligation? I'll do it. Parish mayava, the parish who's out of, um, who's motivated by love. And parish mayira, the parish who's motivated by fear. Okay. So parish shechni, what's a parish shechni? This is somebody who does actions. Uh, similar to the story of Shem. So Rashi explains Shem, the entire city of Shem circumcised themselves. But they didn't do it for the right reason. They did it for their own purposes. Right? So this is referring to a parish, a someone who's trying to be from and you know do like they go the extra mile, but they're doing it for ulterior motives. Parish Naxi, someone who you know knocks their feet. That Makip is Ragla. This is somebody who kind of um bangs his feet because he as he explains he kind of like shuffles his feet across the ground and try to walk in this like exaggeratedly humble way um and because of doing that he kind of bangs his feet into the wall and you know uh because he's trying to walk you know so so slowly and um and yeah so that's the parish. Now, either there's parish kizai, um, you know, the parish which like causes like wounds, right? He causes himself wounds. Right? Um, he kind of like bumps his head into the wall and um, lets out and like kind of like causes himself to bleed, right? And <laughs> so explains this because he kind of closes his eyes. He doesn't want to look at women. Um, and because of that, he ends up bumping into the wall and hurting himself. All right, so also going too far. Um, Paris Madukia, the Paris, which is like a mortal and pestle. So Amara Rashila, 
right? So he like bends himself over like a pestle, right? And like bends his head like in an ultimate exaggerated way, um, just for show. And I know the part who says, what's my obligation? And I will do it. So the Gemara asks, that's a good thing to say, you know, it sounds like, oh, he just wants to do it to fill his obligation. Okay, so what what did the Bryce mean? It meant that Amar and I think, what more do I have to do already? Like as if to say, I've done everything, right? If you if you can find something else for me to do, oh, I'll do it. But like I've already done everything there is to do, right? So he makes out as though he's perfect. Abba and So what's the Parish Abba Parish Um, those are Prushim who you know, are extra from and do all these extra things um, because of love of reward or fear of punishment. Right, so the Bryce listed those as also a negative thing, right? Not doing it for the right reasons. I'm really a of a rabbit Latana. So a of a rabbit said to the Tana, right? Tana is, could be, um, the word Tana can mean someone who's like one of the Tanai. It could also mean somebody who is kind of be stationed in the base midrash, and he was kind of there to kind of like memorize and recite Mishnayas, right? Um, and so Abai and Rabbah said to the person reciting Mishnayas and their base writers, Lo You shouldn't, um, when you recite this Brisa, you should not have um, like ex- take out Parash Abba and Parash from the list. Meaning to say, um, we should not consider those Prushim as part of the, as negative, right? As part of this list of, of people who are, um, you know, not encouraged. The Amar of Yehuda Amar Av, or Yehuda Amar Av said, A person should always engage in Torah and Mitzvah, even if it's not for the right reasons, because eventually, um, by doing it for the wrong reasons, we'll eventually come to do it for the right reasons, right? So therefore, we shouldn't, we should not, we should encourage this parish by Abba and parish Meir, and we should not, you know, put it on the wall of shame. <laughs> this is our, um, you know, insincere. Just a note about this, that the Tysavis asks, you know, this is the famous, famous quote, right? We text Lelishma, right? So it's okay. Things are Lelishma, no big deal, right? Um, but there's other places in the Gemara where you say the opposite, right? It says, you know, in one place, not to slay Sam Hamavas, right? A person does something that's Lelishma, you know, they, they're, they're, they have, it's, it's like a potion of death, right? Or it's better that he was never born, right? Um, so we kind of see this contradiction here. Like here we're saying, okay, it's okay if you do it. For ulterior motives, eventually you'll do it for the right reasons. Um, but other places, this seems to be, you know, talk about this in pretty pretty negative terms. Um, so he answers that there's a difference between there's different levels of Lailashma, right? Like sometimes you do something for all, you know, ulterior selfish motives, but you know that you're doing it not for the ultimate reason. But in your head, you're like, okay, like you have in mind, you have the intention that eventually I want to do this for the, the most altruistic reason. I'm just not there yet, you know? Uh, but, and that's very different than someone who's doing it without the th- without that intention at all, right? It's just like, no, I just care about this selfish motivation and that's it, right? So there's sort of like, you know, gradations or levels of what what we consider Lailishma. Mm, right. Yeah, it's a really tricky thing. I mean, I think we could even see that in in this price itself, right? The first one, Parashikmi, right? We didn't say, right, uh, Rava said you should still teach the Parashikmi, which we also applied as someone doing for ulterior motives, right? So perhaps, I don't know, you have to say that that type of ulterior motive is somehow worse, right? It's really like a bad reason. Right, right. right. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Right, I'm not going to like said. Right, that which is hidden is hidden, and with Galia of Galia, and that which is revealed is revealed. Right, meaning, you know, sometimes people could put on a show, right, and it looks like they're really, they're pushing for the right reasons. They look like they're really pious and holy and righteous. Um, and on the inside, they're really not, right, and you can't know. But, Beidina Rabbal is part of my honey, Dechafu Gunde. The great basin, right? The heavenly court above in the future will punish those who cloak themselves, um, who wrap themselves in cloaks, right? So what does it mean to wrap yourself in a cloak? Um, so, so Rashi says it's, it's, um, 
it's the people who they wrap themselves kind of like in this tallest with like many fringes. Um, right. And so they wrap themselves in their tallest to make themselves look all holy. Um, but really, they're not. But, you know, Hashem can tell, though, what their true intentions are. Um, okay, so we're going to finish off by a statement from Yanai Hamelk, just a quick historical sketch of who Yanai Hamelk was. He was a king in times of the second base Hamikdash. He was not a friend of, like, traditional Judaism. Um, he actually had many Persian killed. So at the time, there were, a lot of, there were, you know, many factions among the Jewish people. There were the Persian, right, who were kind of like the traditional religious from Jews under, you know, with the Hachamim, and then there were the Sadukim, right? Um, Yanai was a Yanai Malk was a Sadukim, and he, during his lifetime, had a campaign which was actually killing uh, as many Hachamim as he possibly could. Right, so on his deathbed, Yanai Hamalach, um, you know, was telling his wife, um, Shlom Sian. Shlom Sian actually went on afterwards to be a righteous queen. Um, remembered well in the Jewish tradition, right? Um, and so Yanai Malk tells his wife, Shlomzian, so Yanai Malk told his wife, um, after I die, I'll teach Yarim and Persian. Don't be afraid of the Persian, right? Of the from Jews. Um, even though I was no, I was their enemy during my lifetime, they're not going to hurt you because they won't hurt you. They're not going to punish you for my crimes. So don't worry about them. But like me, Misha ain't no Persian. And don't worry about those who are not Persian. Don't worry about the Sadukim because they're, you know, they're um, my friends, right? They don't have to worry about them. But Ella Hatsvuin. You got to be careful of the tzvu and the colored ones, the ones that are literally means colored ones, the people who are insincere, right? It looks like one color on the inside, another color on the outside, right? They look, look like one thing on the outside and they're really different on the inside. So these tzvuin should diamond the Persian. They might appear, they look like they're Persian on the outside, shamasan, but on the inside, they're really not, right? Shamasan, kamas is zimri. Their actions are like those of zimri, but they want reward like Pinchas. Right, Zimri famously um, publicly cohabited with a, a, a Moabite woman, right, in the desert. Um, and Pinchas, right, was the zealot who, right, killed Zimri, right, and his non Jewish wife, um, and was rewarded for that, right? So there, it's like kind of this striking parallel, right? These people, they, they act like Zimri. But they make out as if they deserve reward, like pet classes. So Yanai Malach is confirming this very same point that it's really the worst thing, right? Is to be is insincerity. Okay, so we'll conclude here for today. All right, um, and we'll pick up with the mission. Yeah, we'll tomorrow. see you tomorrow for a very long Mishnah. <laughs> and then we'll also uh, hopefully uh, conclude the parak um, in tomorrow's daf. So we'll see you then. Yes. Another mini theme.